You know, the invitation uh, to follow Jesus is really an invitation to a kingdom party. And sometimes uh, our perception of Christianity, especially if you're sitting here today, maybe on the outside looking in a little bit at this Christian thing we do, may not be the perception that this is a blast. This is a celebration. May be more perceived as a set of rules and regulations, a group of dour, sour people who gather to criticize and condemn. That's not who we're called to be. And this is the parable, one of them that really highlights that. This morning we're going to read from Matthew 22, verses 1 to 14. And this is the story of the king uh, inviting you and me to his wedding banquet. And so what we do here, uh, Carol Hill is going to be reading the passage for us. If Carol, if you'll step up. And what we do here is stand face the middle of the room. If you're able, the words to the passage will be on the screen. And follow along as we read the story of the wedding banquet from Matthew 22. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guest, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, Tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Thanks a lot, Carol. You can have a seat. I wondered this morning, just maybe reflect on this question, and then what would be even better is to share the answer with the person seated next to you. What's the most important invitation you've ever received in your adult life? the most important invitation you've ever received? For me, that's kind of a tough question. I'm not trying to play stump the band here, but what was it? Here's a follow-up question if you couldn't answer that one. What's the best food at a wedding reception you've ever eaten? Share that with a neighbor. Uh, that drew a little more response. And it's close enough to lunch. I know what that question does to you. You know my favorite all-time wedding reception food? This is not a commercial. Um, some of you know Randy and Jane McCarran. Uh, Randy and Jane ran the River Rock Grill for years here uh, before that garden cafe. And this goes back, John, 20 years I did their wedding in Costa Mesa, California, and Randy, I think, was a, sh- a caterer back in the day, among other things, and 
I'll never forget, there were three huge buffets. I'm starting to salivate now, just a minute. And one was, I think, Italian, and the other was uh, Mexican cuisine, and I forget what the third one was. What was it? American. That was, I I should (laughs) have. Thanks, John. And, um, And listen, I don't want to offend any of you. I've gone to dozens and dozens of wedding receptions since. I don't want to offend you. You all had good food. But I just remember that being like, holy smokes. And I went back repeatedly, repeatedly. By continent, I went back. There is nothing we've ever done on this earth that could compare to the majesty and the celebration of being invited to the king's feast to celebrate the wedding of his son. There is nothing that would come close. It would have been by far and away the most important invitation you'd ever received and by far and away the most magnificent banquet you'd ever experienced. This is a royal feast for the son of the king and the chance of a lifetime. Now, every parable, if you know the New Testament and how Jesus teaches, every parable has a parallel meaning. And the invitation to the wedding feast is really the story of our invitation into the kingdom of heaven. And the invitation is an invitation to the celebration of God the Father and Jesus the Son. It's really part of what we do here in particular today. And I'm so grateful this morning that an invitation to the kingdom of of heaven is not an invitation to a courtroom proceeding where the judge and the jury establish our innocence or guilt. It could have been that way. Anybody watch the Comey hearings this week? Holy smokes. It could have been that put on the spot, being held accountable for every word, every act. It wasn't that. Or the invitation to heaven could have been an invitation to an awards banquet. If you've been to awards banquets, parents, and and these days everybody gets an award, participation award, but imagine the uh, awards banquet based on our accomplishments for Jesus. Uh, The most Bible verses memorized. The most consecutive Sunday worship services attended. The most souls saved. Imagine if the kingdom of heaven were about that. But the invitation to the kingdom of heaven is an invitation to a banquet of grace provided at an amazing cost. Your invitation here this morning, and this is something we forget, your invitation this morning was provided through the sacrificial death of the Son of God, the Son of the King. On a cross, it was a hideous death And in God's infinite wisdom and providential plan, it's how he chose to invite us into a new relationship with him so that the celebration can take place. Today, tomorrow, and for eternity. It's an unbelievable story. And you have been chosen, my friend, this morning as a guest to the feast. Let me go to the parable The first invitation goes out from the king to the loyal subjects, to the invited. And the response to that first invitation with those on the guest list was unbelievably ignoring, 
ignoring the first invitation from the king's servant. They blew it off. They refused. They said, whatever, whatever. So the king attempts a second time. This time he's more specific in his invitation. He says, this will be the meal of a lifetime. It's the banquet of the king. He sweetened the deal. We'll be eating the best food imaginable. In the presence of the king, in the royal court, in the courtyard, and the son of the king who would be married. And you may find this hard to believe, but again, they ignored the king's invitation. And what did they do? They just went off to work. Uh, they went off to business, because business is important. Uh, maybe they went to play, recreation. Recreation's important. None of these things are bad things, but the invitation became irrelevant. And then the story darkens because some of the invited guests grabbed the messengers, began to pound on them, to beat them up, and eventually they killed them. Is that what you expected in the story of the wedding banquet? What? what what's with that? Here's one point. Don't ever mess with royalty. You know, you can take them for granted, but bottom line, don't anger royalty. And the king was infuriated and sent his royal army, and I'm sure we'd all agree, not an overreaction, sent his royal army to not only retaliate against the invited guests, but burn their cities to the ground. You just don't mess with royalty. Two consequences. Number one, he killed the invited guests. It uses the word destroyed. He then burned their cities to the ground. Actually, the parable is somewhat prophetic of what happens within the next 20 years in Jerusalem. There's another layer to parable, always another layer to parables. And the parable represents about a thousand years of history and the repeated cycle between God and his people of sin, judgment, and grace, and now the ultimate rejection of God's invitation for Israel to be his chosen people. Ultimately, a vast majority of those chosen folks refused to accept the invitation to the banquet, to love and obey God. Eventually, first century, in first century terms, they refused to believe who Jesus was and refused to follow him. And so the rest of the parable describes the expansion of the invitation to the Gentiles, which would be us. And understand this about the king. The royal celebration will take place one way or another. And so the king tells a new group of servants, of messengers, go to the street corners, and he says, I don't care who it is, invite anyone you find. They may be bad or good or poor or disenfranchised. They may be outsiders, outliers, a bucket of deplorables, even Green Bay Packer fans. Invite them in. <laughs> Invite them in. And they came from far and wide because they understood the gift, the prize, the opportunity of the wedding banquet in the presence of the king. And you see, my friends, that's where the story becomes our story. I'm not crazy about the term bucket of deplorables, but it still fits me before God. I'm not worthy to stand in the presence of the king. But he invited me. 
as he invites you. It's a parable about grace, a parable about divine accountability as well, and finally a parable about us, and it says the wedding hall was filled with guests, and that would be us today. See, God came into the world, sent Jesus into the world to seek and to save people who are lost, and he chose you. It says many were invited, only a few chosen. There's a theological drift to that question. We don't want to go there necessarily. But there were many people invited, but the ones who were chosen chose to return his invitation. And God this morning, my friends, is not concerned with our ethnic pedigree or our history of personal holiness. He's not going to check your police record or what you did at the party last weekend. He doesn't care about your wealth, your socioeconomic status. He just invites you because of who he, who he is, not because of who we are. One of my favorite moments in the life of TFRC happened three weeks ago, three Sundays ago here, where literally dozens of men, teen, men and women, teenagers, boys and girls, stood one at a time across the room and responded to one question. And symbolically, when they responded to that one question, they were symbolizing the response to the banquet that they've already made. You know the question. Most of you have stood and answered the same question. The question goes like this. Who is your Lord and Savior? And I, and I know you know the answer to that. But do we understand the implications of that? When we stand before God family and friends and the evil one himself and declare our allegiance to the king. It's time for a party. And we had root beer floats three weeks ago. You know, for a reformed church, that's, that's a party, okay? So we don't get out of control. But I want you to hearken back to that moment where you knew Jesus for the first time or where Jesus came alive in your life for the first time. And for some of us, that may be a distant memory. For some of you, that may be recent and actually an emotional journey. But when we said yes to Jesus, we responded to the invitation to the great feast of the king, the wedding banquet of the son and his bride, which Paul describes as the church. Some of you have never answered the invitation of the king and the invitation is still there. And maybe you're pondering, do I believe, do I follow this Jesus? Maybe your perspective on this whole topic is jaded and clouded by the hypocrisy of people that claim allegiance to the king. I don't know what your reasons for not receiving the invitation or accepting it, but I want to give you that opportunity this morning. If at some point you ask yourself in your heart, Who's my Lord and Savior? And you can say, Jesus Christ, you've just received the invitation to the greatest experience you can imagine this side of heaven and beyond it. And sometimes I think in the pursuit of how we do church and why we do church, we miss the fundamental core of who we've been called to be. We are party animals in the presence of the king. This new life is a life in which, 
as the Bible tells us, we can experience an abundance beyond our own measure, an abundance beyond our own skills and gifts. We can discover a joy that's so elusive for so many of us these days. We can experience rich community. I'm not talking friendships around a soccer field, basketball court, or, or, or theater. I'm talking about the rich spiritual relationships that come from one thing, a common denominator, a relationship with Jesus that we have together. That's different. And, and this new life is a life certainly of obeying and responding to the challenges of the king, the call of Jesus, but we do it out of gratitude. And let me stretch the parable, maybe a little farther than it should be, but understand this, we... Are, we Received the original invite to the banquet. Okay, we get that. But I think a lot of us have stepped out the side door of the banquet because other things matter more. We're really busy. And we didn't have the intent of stepping away from Jesus, walking away from the community of faith, but somehow through the months and the years it's just happened and suddenly faith really doesn't matter. The community doesn't matter. And again, it wasn't intentional, and these things we're pursuing aren't bad things, but they're the other things that kept the original invitees away from the banquet in the first place. And I just want to invite you back. If you've slipped out the side door, come on back and experience the richness of the feast. We can easily lose the priority of this royal invitation amidst all of the distractions. I heard once, you know why, why, uh, what the church competes with on Sunday mornings, the other priorities of life? We, everything else. We're one of 3,700 options on Sunday morning. So I'm, I bless God for your presence today. But those are the decisions that cause us to step away and step outside the banquet room. Let me give you the family feud question of the day. Uh, some of you are familiar with uh, Steve Harvey, Family Feud, and what they do there. There's contestants on the show are asked to guess how 100 people in the audience responded to various survey questions. You ready for this question? Um, here's the question. When someone mentions the king, to whom might he or she be referring? Okay, we, we don't have any uh, technology here to help you answer that. But uh, you can guess along with me, Okay. The lowest response, two people said, survey says, the Burger King. Okay, the next number of people said, show it, Carol, thank you, Martin Luther King. The next highest answer, seven people said, God or Jesus. Are you doing the math? This was 100 respondents. Okay, I've got one more answer. You know what it is? At the count of three, I'm going to have you say it together. One, two, three. You got it. It's Elvis. Just saying. And I don't want to infuriate any Elvis fans here today. If you have an Elvis shrine, just forget what I'm about to say. But as long as the vast majority of people around us perceive Elvis is the king, we've got some work to do at invitations to the banquet. Just saying, Elvis is not going to invite you into an abundant life, even though you may have liked his movies and his music. Elvis will never be willing 
to do that for you. He will never be willing to die for you. Elvis has left the building and he's not coming back. He is not the king. Neither is he the king of kings or the Lord of lords. And you know, I don't want to make too much of a big deal over this, but, but understand, I think a lot of us in that number one slot have a king of a different name, a, a different priority. And until we recognize that the king is calling us to the banquet, faith in church may feel a lot like it feels right now, which is just no big deal and whatever. I think it's time we recapture the invitation to the banquet. Revelation 19 describes uh, this moment, and actually first century popular opinion, the rabbis developed this opinion, that between the end of days and the life to come, there would be this magnificent celebration called a messianic banquet to which the Messiah would call all those who believed. John in Revelation 19 picks up on that theme, and this is what he says. We read it earlier this morning. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride, and in the New Testament, that's the church, has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. And then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true very words of God. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And folks, if, you've, uh, if you're hearing this today, that's you. Better yet, blessed are those who respond and accept the invitation to the wedding of the Lamb. Because not only will that impact you here, today, and tomorrow, what the Bible says, it impacts us for eternity. It's a huge story. And the parable of the wedding banquet wasn't just the story of ancient history, Old Testament style. It's our story as well today. There's really two uh, significant symbols of the invitation to the banquet uh, in contemporary Christianity. One is baptism and one is communion. There's a rich symbolism. They're both... uh, Jesus commanded us to do both, to remember him, to be reminded of him. And as I said, three, uh, three weeks ago, we had, I think, like uh, 17 people baptized. Let, let me just show you. the. If you've never been to the fountain, it's right out there. And let me see if we get a picture of it. The water's blue. That's a close-up. Um, I have to tell you, uh, I'm in that tank from time to time. And it's, it's a weird moment for me because it's one of the most awkward, holy moments of my life. Because we're in the water and I want to squirt the kids around the edge of the, you know, it's that. But also, it's a sacrament commanded by Jesus. Go and make disciples baptizing. And every time someone, we dip that person down underwater for a short time, It's a symbol of the recognition they've been invited to a banquet and they've accepted the invitation and life is never the same. Eternity is never the same. This morning we're going to baptize a young girl and her family's already out there. Usually we have you go, we're going to have you stay put. 
And I want you to take a good look at that fountain because of what it symbolizes to every one of us in this room who claims belief in, in Jesus. That when we're submersed in the water, we are ex- once again reminded of how important the invitation to the banquet is. And so I'm going to have John. John's out there uh, somewhere. He's probably underwater there. John, you want to step on in? And uh, John's going to share a few words with you, and then we're going to baptize um, Virtue Tom this morning. But I want you to take a good look at this, because this is one of the great symbols of our faith, of the invitation to the banquet. Hey, guys. Um, we're about to do a baptism for Virtue Tom. And, and before we do that, there's this, there's this constant theme in the New Testament of believe and be baptized. Believe and be baptized. Believe that, that Jesus is who he said he was, that the kingdom of God is here and it's coming more every day, that God hasn't given up on this world, that God's doing something. And the cross is really the culmination of all of that, to say we believe. And baptism is a strong symbol that points to that belief. And so today, uh, this morning, Virtue Tom is going to come and join me in the water, and we're going to baptize her as she does that exact thing. So Virtue, come and head on in. Come on in. All right, right over here. All right, Virtue, I'm going to ask you a question, okay? Virtue, who is your Lord and Savior? Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Nailed it. Nailed it. All right, Virtue, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs> I, I hope that never gets old for us. Uh, 80-some percent of individuals receive Jesus before their 18th birthday. That was the statistic 40, 50 years ago. It remains the statistic today. What we do here with kids is absolutely crucial. Absolutely crucial. It's about the banquet. Uh, and I know you were probably just observing that, at least physically speaking, but now it's your turn to participate in the other symbol that for 2,000 years has been part and parcel of reminding us of the invitation of Jesus in a relationship with him and to, uh, with one another as the body of Christ. So we're going to celebrate communion here today, and I, I know, again, you're sitting in that same seat that we often, often sit in, but I want you to picture yourself at the wedding banquet of the king today. Picture yourself in the audience, in the presence of the king, and the son of the king, the bride of the king. And this banquet is about your experiencing the reality of that moment. I'd like to have the elders just come up as we get ready. If, if you're visiting with us today, it's a real honor to have you here. And uh, if, if you're a believer and follower of Jesus, you go to another church or you're looking for a church, um, or if you just made a commitment to Jesus in our conversation earlier in the service, you become part of the family of Jesus, going back about 2,000 years now. And uh, this becomes a rich experience uh, in uh, coming together and celebrating the king and his son. The 
institution of this moment goes back 2,000 years, where in the midst of the Passover feast, it was a typical Passover feast, although the disciples probably perceived there was something odd about what was about to take place. Jesus took bread in the midst of the Passover feast, and then he blessed God. He thanked God. It was standard at this point in the service. But then he broke bread. And he said, this is my body that's broken for you. As long as you eat this together, you do this to remember me. From 2,000 years ago when he said those words for the first time to this very moment, this is a reminder, a symbol of our invitation to the banquet. And in the same way he took the cup after they'd supped and said, this cup is a New Testament in my blood. And I'm not sure if the disciples grasped that then or even in the hours to come. But it's a new covenant, a New Testament in his blood. And as often as you drink it, Jesus said, you're going to do this to remember me. And I would add this morning to remember your invitation to this incredible banquet. So in the next few moments, you'll have alone time, time out, for you just to reflect on who you are and your relationship with Jesus these days. And maybe you want to recalibrate or correct some things that have somehow gone south. Uh, Maybe you want to just drink in the reality of the amazing story of Jesus and his love for you. But my friends, we are fellow guests at this great feast that was purchased with a great price. Let's just spend time alone with our Lord, our God, and the Spirit. For just a moment, I want you to envision being in the royal courts of the king. For this amazing feast and banquet, I want you to listen to the sounds, see the sights. Whether this moment takes place at the culmination of the end of days or shortly into eternity, how long it lasts, we don't know, but I want you to picture that scene. Because in that room are all those who've gone before us, the heroes of the faith from the Old Testament, the apostles, the New Testament, Many of our family, grandparents, and parents who've set us down the path of faith, and all those who will follow us, picture them in the banquet hall of the king. And we're there. And then I want you to recognize what you hold in your hands is one of the great symbols of the invitation to the banquet of Jesus. Jesus gave himself up for us his body, and his blood, so we could have life. And the life doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be easy all the time. doesn't mean the elimination of pain. But bottom line, ultimately, it's a life of celebration because we're children of the king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords who went to the cross for us. So let's eat it and drink it and be thankful together.
Father in heaven, we come to you really out of mixed emotions that we recognize our, our brokenness before you. We, we recognize our shortcomings and our failings. And yet we are the ones that you've chosen to invite to the great feast. So we understand that the life and the death and the blood of Jesus has washed away all the things that separate us from you. And we are clothed in your righteousness. And so, Father, as we come together at the table, Lord, we commemorate your death, but we celebrate your life and the life that you've promised every one of us that responds to the invitation to come to the banquet. Father, you make us new and new over and over again. And we're grateful this morning that you call us out of the world into this community, this family, with an incredible calling and an incredible purpose as a result. It's in his name that we pray, amen.